I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Callum and Johnny podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Callum. And this is a brand new podcast. Um, Originally, it was going to be called Double Feature with Callum and Johnny, uh, but there is another podcast out there called Double Feature. So for the time being, I'm going to continue to call it the Untitled Callum and Johnny podcast. And it's a good thing that we chose podcast and not projects, because I think we were umming and airing between the two. Indeed. And uh, yeah, I don't think there is any other podcast, certainly called the Untitled Callum and Johnny podcast. Uh, I have checked and it doesn't seem to exist. So I think we have free reign on this one for the time being. At least for the time being. But we'll see what um, other people come up with. We might find out that there's 50 in the wings that we don't know about. (laughs) Absolutely. So what I wanted to ask you, Callum, though, is what is this podcast about? Well, it's all about movies, and each week we're going to watch two movies. We're going to watch movies that are thematically linked or linked by an actor or a director or some other thing. And this week we are watching, uh, we have been watching, rather, The Frighteners, the 1996 film by Peter Jackson, the horror comedy movie. And we have also watched the new Jordan Peele film, Nope. And the idea of the podcast is that we watch a newer film that's out in cinemas or new to streaming. And we also watch an older film that's available somewhere online or on Blu-ray or on some other service that we can watch legally, of course, uh, that has a thematic linking. And this week, it's all about horror and comedy, which is what The Frighteners is and which is what the trailers suggested Nope was. Indeed. And... uh... There is something quite important that is worth me mentioning. Uh, With these two movies, one movie we will talk about 
in great detail, and that is the old movie. You're kind of expected to have seen a movie that came out in 1996, I want to say 96? Yes, 96. Yeah, 96 by now. Uh, Whereas we don't expect you to have seen Nope, as it only came out this week. So because of that, uh, we are going to try and uh, leave it fairly spoiler free now normally I think that's fairly easy but somehow I think we've uh, tied ourselves in somewhat of a knot for this first podcast we certainly (laughs) ourselves into a corner this is a very hard movie not to spoil because not even the trailers give anything away it's the least spoilery trailers that you can imagine and usually I'd say it's fair game if it's in the trailers we can talk about what's in the trailers but the trailer gives away nothing and basically everything in the film is kind of a spoiler so it's going to be hard work so we're going to have to very much be quite wide with our um, <laughs> review slash conversation on that so it might be a little bit lopsided this week but um, something else that we are going to come to first, though, is every week we plan to just have a couple of little news stories each, something that has piqued both of our interest. And, uh, yeah, we've got a couple of bits of news for you. So I think I'll get us started off this week, Callum, with a bit of cool. news to see if you have heard this first off. So the first bit of news is Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie? McQuarrie? McQuarrie, I McQuarrie, like the quarry that he will they will be throwing a train into in the new Mission Impossible. Nice link. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they want to make a movie musical together really? after they finish up with Mission Impossible. So I think I'm right in saying that they are doing two Mission Impossibles back to back. Yes. And when they finish filming these two Mission Impossibles, evidently they want to make a movie musical before. Um, I find this quite an interesting one on multiple levels. One, the... Chris McQuarrie, Mission Impossibles are some of my favourite action movies of all time. Uh, I absolutely am obsessed by them and love them. <laughs> and I think it was the last one, the one with Arnie Hammer and the reloading guns. Uh, not, not Arnie Hammer. You're, you're thinking of about um, Superman. I am thinking about Superman. Henry Cavill. Shame Get those two you. mixed up. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, 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 with the, the, the old reloading guns, which was a uh, was. It was it was quite an interesting scene. <laughs> it was a hoot. It was a hoot. Uh, absolutely love that movie. Loved the couple before. I think that he really gets Tom Cruise. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, he's never made a musical before. What, Tom Cruise or Christopher McQuarrie? Christopher McQuarrie. But Tom Cruise mm-hmm. has very much so. Rock of Ages. Yes. Which I don't think anyone's ever seen. I have. You've seen it. Wow. <laughs> and uh, quick review. Um, well, because I like to call myself a trash panda of film, I will watch anything. He really I, will. I, I understand that there's good films and there's bad films. And it's not that I convince myself that bad films are good, but I will give a chance to pretty much everything. And it's not good, but it's a jukebox movie musical of kind of 80s hair metal, like uh, like the goofiest hair metal, like Sticks and Quiet Riot and uh, uh, White Snake and Poison. And it's got some fun moments. It's got some fun performances, notably Tom Cruise, who knows exactly the kind of film he's making. But it's a bit of a drag. It's a teenage love story and the two teen leads are boring. But, you know, there's some fun to be had there. A couple of nice songs. Also, one of the last ever movies that Hollywood ever let Russell Brand be in. So, <laughs> You're depending on your... Death on the Nile. Well, I think everyone's feeling about <laughs> Death on the Nile. I think Arnie Hammer... 
a nice little <laughs> link back to my mistake earlier. Uh, made sure of that, but that's not what we're going to get into today. But yeah, that was my my exciting first piece of news. How about you, Callum? Yes, my first exciting bit of news is that they've just dropped the trailer, well, a few days ago, for the greatest beer run ever. And I know that you, Johnny, were particularly interested in this one because I know that uh, you've travelled a lot to Southeast Asia. The film is set in Vietnam. I can't remember where the film was was filmed. It was filmed in Thailand, it's actually. Filmed in Thailand. Um, it was a big thing in Thai Twitter. Yes, I follow Thai Twitter. I lived in Thailand, <laughs> for those that don't know. Um, and he, uh, while Russell Crowe was over there filming it, he was filming millions and millions and millions of... Uh, bits and pieces and putting them all on like Twitter. and selfies and, and yeah, fun selfies bits. and fun yeah. bits. And talking about how beautiful it was. And it was just after kind of the COVID restrictions started to reduce. And uh, I think the, the Thai government were pretty happy with his job of uh, promoting tourism in Thailand and mm-hmm. were retweeting stuff. And yeah, it was quite a, bit, quite a nice good news story. And I'd never heard of this story before, actually, of the, the greatest beer run. Uh, and then I saw a... Um, uh, a video for it. Mm-hmm. I think it's Blue Ribbon Beer, I think was the beer. A oh, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, quite a famous brand. It's like a trash beer, but it a cheap is. one. It's awful. Yeah, 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 I've had it. Um, and anyway, that was that the, they did a, like a 20-minute video talking about it, having not seen the film. So I'm quite excited for this. And I knew you would be, and that's why I brought it up as my first piece of news, because the trailer has just dropped. It's starring, I didn't realise it was starring Zac Efron and that Russell Crowe is a supporting role. But Zac Efron is the guy, he's this American guy. Uh, for some reason, he's not fighting in Vietnam in the late 60s, but he, a lot of his friends are. And Bill Murray, the bartender, jokes um, uh, to him, like, why is nobody bringing beer over to these guys? And Zac Efron says, well, I'll do it. And then that's exactly what he does. And the, the movie is directed by Peter Farrelly. And you know, he went from doing comedy to then very serious films like Green Book and all those kinds of things. And it seems to be getting a little bit of his comedy back into the mix. And it looks like a good, fun, you know, movie. And I, I thought that's why you'd be interested in it the most, because I knew you lived there. And I knew, know that you're very fascinated with Southeast Asia. And I know that you were very fascinated with uh, those Russell Crowe um, Instagram pictures. Well, yeah, interest, very interesting indeed. I actually haven't seen the trailer yet, so when we finish filming this podcast, I will possibly jump on and do that. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something I'm quite interested in. And being a Farrelly, I suppose it's not Brothers, but just one of the Farrelly's movie, it could go either way. <laughs> um, perfect. Some other... I, I'm going to sound like an obsessive, but... Uh, some other Mission Impossible news. <laughs> the variable Nick Offerman has joined the cast. Oh, my. Very exciting. Hooray. Uh, Nick Offerman, for those who don't know, probably most famous for his role in Parks and Recreation, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, absolute legend. And I think... I have no idea what he'll play in a, a Mission Impossible movie, but like Alec Baldwin, I'm sure he will look like he's having a lot of fun doing it. I imagine he'll be playing one of those office types. There's always one in a Mission Impossible movie where they say something like, you guys can't do that dangerous mission. How dare you? Come back here and sign the paperwork. I can imagine him doing that. Quite possibly. Um, But yeah, no, exciting news nonetheless. And Callum, any other news? My second bit, it's not a news piece, but it was something that I found quite interesting on YouTube. And it's a bit of a treasure trove. 
Uh, one day, out of curiosity, I typed full movies for free onto YouTube just to kind of see, out of curiosity, what they have. Because every so often, someone sneaks a movie on there and then it disappears within a minute. And I won't give away any of the names and channel names of, of these various channels because, you know, I, I don't want to keep... I want to keep them out of the hands of the copyright monster. But the kinds of movies that get uploaded, I found treasure troves of channels that upload those really terrible straight-to-DVD films from, like, 2006 to 2010. And they're all awful, of course. But I found myself watching five minutes of about ten of them because they're quite uniquely awful. They're not inept. They're not ineptly made like uh, The Room. It's not like they have terrible white balance or uh, poor cinematography. They're, it's competent in those regards. But because the budgets are so rock bottom, they cut every single corner to get this film made on budget, which is tiny in whatever country they're filming in. And in that time, it would have been a lot of Eastern European countries because they were cheap at that time. And they're all awful, but they're very uniquely awful. They're all tinted, so blue, it's unnatural, but it becomes quite fascinating. I wouldn't recommend watching a full one of any of these, but watch five minutes of a bunch of these and you'll find yourself going, good Lord, these are uniquely terrible. And that's something they just don't do anymore. This sounds like the kind of stuff that the sci-fi channel likes to play at about three in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah, there is, YouTube's actually quite an interesting one for that. It's the same thing if you think of an old, like, made-for-TV movie from 1993 that you really want to watch mm -hmm. and you can't find it on any streamer. And I feel like some people just whack it on YouTube and hope that no one ever notices. And often, maybe, it's so far below the radar that they don't. It seems like they don't. I mean, one of the channels I went on had hundreds of these movies on, so someone's not noticing or just not caring, yeah. which I think is more likely. Maybe it is they've written them off or something. Um, obviously, that's something that's been in the news quite a lot recently. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but where um, Discovery and Universal, is it, or Warner? Universal Warner. Time Warner, maybe. All of them, whatever. Where two of the big players have joined together recently. Uh, they have written down about £900 million pounds worth of TV and animation um, and movies that were either part complete or complete and even have been out in some cases so it's quite a lot of animation i think infinity train which was a cartoon mm -hmm. network show there's one thing that they've it's been out the series is completed it's been streamers for a couple of years but um they obviously think don't think it's going to make any them any more money and they don't have to pay residuals on it so they have written it off good lord um but even probably bigger news from that is the talk that they have Batgirl, the movie. Yes, I heard about that. It's uh, somewhat... It was in post-production, so... It, it was, was complete, as far as I understand, yeah. or at least nearly complete. And it was going to get put on HBO Max or something similar, and they've just completely dumped it, written it off, and fired everyone. $90 million dollar budget. Um, and that this is part of this big... Um, yeah, this, this big... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, write down that they've done. Um, and it's, it's a really strange situation. There's things that people have lasted for, you know, uh, have spent years and years creating and they've decided that they could get a bigger tax write-off uh, by just ditching it all than, than, uh, than, than keeping it going, which I, I think on multiple levels is strange because I think obviously content is king at the minute. And mm -hmm. actually I saw, I saw a great thing the other day that was saying that Netflix has 
on average, about a quarter of what a blockbuster used to have had in terms of TV and movies on it. So when you've got, used to go and spend ages in a big blockbuster searching through movies, they'd have about four times as many movies to choose from than the Netflix has. Yes. Um, and obviously I think people do care about having a lot of depth in content and just scrolling through stuff and finding something random. I think that, you know, people love it or something they, they had saw as a kid. Or, and I think writing a lot of this stuff down, especially with the, the kind of people that are willing to maybe have for streaming services that they pay for, myself included, um, and things that those kind of people are the people that want that depth in in, in the catalogues. And I think it's a real shame that um, what sounds like quite a short-sighted de- decision by a, a new sounds person. Like a terrible decision. HBO Max was the one that in America people prided themselves on thinking this is the second best streaming service often would be the thing. Like Netflix is the granddaddy, although that's starting to slip in terms of what people like. But it's the granddaddy, and after that, HBO Max. And there's no competition. There's nothing. You know, there's nothing that even comes close to this. Well, this could implode that completely. Absolutely. And when you've got someone like Disney who just don't won't seem to... I thought when they took over Fox and there was various uncompleted X-Men projects that were meant to be steaming piles of turd and turned out to be, and, you know, <laughs> these projects that no one cared about and the wheels were clearly flying off the wagon you mean you weren't excited to see new new mutants i was not (laughs) uh not from the production cycle from what i'd heard anyway but and yeah and they seem to have stuck with it so i think it will make give content creators pause obviously someone like hbo and cartoon network have always attracted you know really great content creators I hate this word content, but it is what it is. Um, but it has always must. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it is always, it has really sucked those people in. And this is the kind of thing that's going to make people, if they've got two of us on the table, well, I'll go with Disney. They they won't ditch my project probably. Well, I mean, Not until it gets to exactly 100 episodes and they decide they don't want any more, but that's another story. But at least they will keep it the time. You know, people will be escaping as fast as they can to go to anyone else that won't treat them this well, uh, this poorly. And the other studios will probably make it a point of saying, come with us, we won't treat you like this. I think the only thing I would say, unfortunately, it does seem to be going with a few services that way. Obviously, Netflix, with their massive budget cuts, have cut particularly a lot of animation and things recently. Um, And, yeah, you know, it could be a a bumpy road ahead for content creators who, in fairness, may have had it a little bit easy for the last few years when everyone seems to be signing everything that they can because they just were, everyone was trying to grab everything. I think maybe there may be a slight reckoning coming in that Mm -hmm. regard. But, um, yeah, still, still sad to see. A scary time. But with that... On to the main part of the podcast. Now, first, we've got a little word from somebody. Hi, cats and kittens. Um, this is Tom Waits. And I say you got to listen to this cool new film podcast, double feature uh, with Callum and Johnny, you know, with the whores and the longshoremen. Get me another whiskey. I got a long podcast ahead of me. Thank you very much, Tom Waits. It's really nice to have on the first podcast that this kind of support. And, um, yeah, really, really glad to hear it. So, uh, you know, if anyone else out there wants to, to get in touch with us, it's always much appreciated. Okay, so let's begin, I believe, first with the new movie. On with the main events, I guess. Exactly that. So, Nope. Can you give us some kind of synopsis without ruining the movie? 
Well, let's see. This is going to be a bumpy road ahead, so forgive me if I sound like I'm reading something very carefully, because I do have the IMDb page up in front of me so that I get the names of people and what have you correctly. So Nope is a 2022 feature from Jordan Peele, the former actor-comedian-turned-writer-director. It's his third film. It's his third genre film, although... We'll get into more depth what that exactly means because that term is stretched quite far in this film. And it stars Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer as brother and sister. The brother has been working a lot of his life. He takes care of horses and these are stunt horses for movies. These are movie movie horses. So several times in the film they mention that uh, these uh, these horses have starred in uh, the Scorpion King, although they weren't used. They used camels instead. And Kiki Palmer's a bit flightier. Uh, she's part of the business, but she's more of the upfront person. She's the one that kind of introduces it and, the, and everything that goes on. And one day, strange things start happening on on this farm. Things start raining out of the sky and, you know, uh, small objects like keys and coins and people's wallets and things like that. No one knows what's happened, but they've been given some cock and bull excuse. And it does cause a accident, which I can't really talk about. Like I said, this is... I feel like the the accident may be in the the trailer. It is the opening scene of the movie. But should we we err on the side of caution, listeners? What do you think? We're on the side of caution. We're on the side of caution, but it causes an accident which changes the events of this brother and sister. And for years, nothing else happens. No, it's not years, months. And for months, nothing else happens for about six months. And then these things start happening again. And there's something weird in the sky. We don't know what it is because the trailers don't turn the camera around. All we see is Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and several of the other characters staring up into the sky, saying things like, no, 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 or as the title suggests, nope, which is where the title comes from. It's the reaction to this thing that's in the sky. Particularly from Daniel Kaluuya. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fairly good synopsis without giving too much away. So, thoughts? Well, I think out of the three films that Jordan Peele has made so far, so of course he made Get Out, which was uh, made on quite a tiny budget. I believe that was 2015, um, although I am going to check that because I might end up correcting myself. Um, Sorry, it was 2017. I was thinking that. I was thinking I thought it was later. It was later than that. For some reason, I thought it was 2015, but 2017. And then later on, he made Us. Which which, was 2019. Yes, it was. It was 2019. And those films were strictly, quite broadly, horror. They had moments of comedy here and there, um, but they were what you would call, they were proper genre films. And I think it surprised people at the time because of... Jordan Peele's past. He was a comedian and an actor. He had done a sketch show. For those who don't know from the show Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on Key and Peele and he appeared in you know, various other things in small roles, cameos, comedy things. So people assumed that when he turned to direction and it was announced it was a horror film, I think people assumed it would be a horror comedy. 
And they were quite stripped down. People have often compared them to things like um, The Twilight Zone because they're very high concepts. They, they have a big idea and it's a big idea that you can sell in like one line. Uh, so Get Out is the film that's uh, uh, about uh, race in America and uh, it's uh, post-Obama. It's like has those lines like, I would have voted for Obama a third time. It's that passive sort of whiteness where they can smile behind their and behind they're smiling, but behind their teeth is something more sinister. And you know, I I know that it's uh, been out for several years now, but I'm sure, and I'm sure everybody's seen it. But I still won't give anything. Um, I still won't give anything more away than that. Uh, 2019's Us was um, a film that had um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o in the in the starring role, and it had to do with these underground dwelling creatures that looks exactly like creatures would you call them creatures and that Humans? was the whole concept of the movie us um that uh, they're the kind of the other there there's an uh, a uh, underclass of an other living underneath the earth and they were pretty broad that can't, I don't think that can be said about Nope. Uh, nope has a lot of ideas. It's not about one idea. And it, I don't think you can sell it in one line, which is why the trailers led so hard with that image, which is quite a, a compelling and quite an arresting image of looking up into the sky at a thing and just being terrified of it. No, 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 no. In this film, there's quite a few ideas, and I think Jordan Peele wants to get them all out at once, and they're all very compelling ideas. If I had any, and they are quite minor complaints, I feel like there's ambition has got the best of Jordan Peele this time. There's more ideas than conclusions, more ideas than than closed loops, and in, in that sense, and this is why I said earlier that uh, the film stretches the term genre quite far in that it's it doesn't quite settle on one thing it's a horror film and then it's a comedy and then it's a science fiction film and then and all these films kind of percolate at once but i don't think that i think there's there is a bit of a struggle a fight to get out so Haha, ha, see what you did there. So, <laughs> um, do where do you rank it then? On the if you were to rank Jordan's three movies, well, I would rank it as his third best, so three out of three. But that's not to say if, if this was a career that had twenty films on it, and I said it's his twentieth best out of twenty, that doesn't sound very good. But for a filmmaker who's only had three films, it's still very compelling. So this is where I'm possibly going to come in and disagree, although. Is is a disagree with caveats. <laughs> when I was watching it, I was sitting there and I was thinking, in a lot of ways, I think I prefer this from us. I was watching it and kind of thinking that. And and I think I said to you when we came out of the, the screening um, that I I couldn't, couldn't place it. I, I think, despite the fact it was made on a low budget and you could tell, I still think Get Out is his... Uh, his masterpiece so far. I think I'd agree it's, with that. it's a pretty perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Us, though, to me, has a real issue in its third act. I don't think it quite ties together. Okay. I think it loses momentum from a horror, horror point of view, and I do agree that it's, uh, you know, it's far more of a single genre movie, really, um, uh, as it was, was a Get more Out. more of a high-concept 
thing. Yeah, kind of like a high concept horror. Um, and But I do think it's very suspenseful and it works really well up until about the third act. And then when you start to, to see actually... Do you think what there's happens. a kind of unraveling? Yeah, it doesn't act. kind of stack up. It doesn't kind of make sense. <laughs> and and Jordan always does this great thing of like piecing little almost MacGuffins through the <laughs> movie that you kind of see coming together towards the end. And I think some of the MacGuffins didn't quite work. And I don't know if it, the third act hung together. Now, actually, with this movie, I almost had the opposite problem. I thought it took a while to get going. I thought some of the MacGuffins were too well signposted. Uh, and, I, and, and some of the kind of... I almost thought that the first couple of acts, some of the orders of the way things were done and things didn't quite make 100% sense. But actually, I think he nailed the third act. I think it's possibly the best third act of any of the three movies. It was certainly a very action-packed, sort of um, sky-punching third act with lots of nail chewing and nail biting suspense and i think and i think that's it and uh, and you know maybe this is a, a flaw in me but i actually think the third act is the, the in a lot of ways the most obviously the first act from setting up characters and things like that is quite important but from nailing the third act it, it's kind of it's it's nice to leave the cinema and think wow that was actually really amazing and I kind of think it did that better so in my head i actually probably put us and um, uh, us and uh, and Nope equal um, because I think that they have both have quite big flaws and and but they both are still great movies they're still great fun but I actually think the thing that makes me think well maybe I put Nope ahead is I think it was more ambitious and I, I and I always respect a ambitious failure over a safe not that I think us was particularly safe but a safe kind of there is Simple. a lot to admire yes. from a movie that has more ideas than conclusions. And even if it doesn't hit all of its goals, the fact that it's swinging so hard is admirable. I will agree there. And actually, a lot of my favourite films are films that most other people would conclude that it's bloody awful, that is. But where I go, it's a big failure, though. It's a big failure. And that's I, I, I agree with you there that uh, that's one of the most... Um, compelling things about Nope is, yeah, it doesn't all hang together. And just so I can, just to add a caveat of my own, it's my third favourite out of three, so it's not a huge filmography, so I still enjoyed it a lot. And I enjoyed all of its genre vignettes. I just found that it had a hard time connecting, the, the connective tissue between the vignettes didn't quite hang together for me, but I did enjoy its ambition. I did enjoy that it had big ideas and it wasn't just built on a single high concept as his previous two films were. Although I think that if I just add for my own sake, I preferred that for his previous two films, he had a high concept, he nailed the high concept. And with this film, he had ambitions and many concepts and he, he landed about 75% of them and it's the 25% that's going to keep me niggling forever and ever and ever. <laughs> I actually think for me he nailed the two most important ones at the end. I think he nailed something that's in some ways quite an obvious genre mm -hmm. from the trailers and things but maybe a more surprising genre. I'm, again, I, I want to be trying to be a bit cagey about we it. We do have to be a bit cagey with this film. But I think he nailed that. And I also really think he nailed the action set piece at the end, which is not something he's done before. Uh, and I also think he nailed just the feeling and the music and the bringing all the characters together at the end. And that I really respected. So 
yeah, I, I don't know. I I still find it hard to place. And like you say, it's a, it's a small, dis- you know, I was going to say discography, filmography. And um, it's still only, you know, three movies. And one of them's a nine out of ten, I would say. And, and you know, two of them are seven and a half, eight out of tens. And, and you know, maybe maybe on second watching, I'll change my mind. And I've seen, I've seen Us twice now. I've seen... Um, uh, get out. Uh, get out a couple of times mm-hmm. so um, yeah you know maybe oh, a few times even uh, so maybe you know once I've seen this a couple more times maybe it'll go down or up in my estimation but uh, yeah I, I, I was pleasantly surprised I think it, it it was a bit of a Marmite movie from a, a general review point of view as well it seems so, to be yes it seems to be getting a, a few mixed reviews here and there yeah. a few, few even saying that it's a downright stinker which I certainly wouldn't agree with absolutely not yeah um, and yeah no, no, and I uh, you know I think it it's still very impressive that he's had three movies you know he seems to go up with budget and ambition in each one and, mm-hmm. and managed to to if not nail it give it a good old try can we talk a little bit about how movies are sold and especially genre films because as we kind of cagely stepped around in our discussion of this film the film isn't one genre it's not necessarily hard horror or hard comedy or comedy horror or sci-fi it does juggle several genres at one time with most mostly successful but the the trailers kind of sell it as a horror film which is not not without a precedence he is a known as a horror director he also co-wrote uh Candyman, the, the Candyman reboot that came out uh last year, I believe it was, or it may have been 2020. Um, it may be me mixing up my years again, but a fairly recent Candyman reboot. So Jordan Peele's name is synonymous with horror. So it's understandable in a way that they would market this film as a straight horror film, that the kind of no, 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 no kind of gives you an eerie sense of dread. But it is quite frustrating from a genre fan such as myself, and I just dear listeners to uh, lay something on the table. I'm more of a horror genre fan than Johnny is. Absolutely is, yeah. <laughs> it's not my favourite genre. I have nothing against it, but it's not something that I, I fantasise and fetish, fetish Where I do. about. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it is something worth talking about, that films that don't settle on a genre and have bits of horror, bits of sci-fi, the trailers will go cold horror movie. And it can be quite frustrating when you're sitting in the, in the theatre, you're expecting a horror movie, and then the film is a contemplative drama with a horrific moment. Not or that a, this is. Not, not that this, this is. is but that, that's, <laughs> that's an example. Especially yeah. a lot of these A24 films. They'll use horror as a uh, taster to sell a drama. Or this film will have lots of comedy and lots of science fiction and moments of horror. And it can be quite frustrating. And so I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. Is it not something that bothers you that much? Or is it more of a, a genre fan's annoyance? I think absolutely it is um, something that in some ways annoys me. Um, not necessarily on this film, because I think actually what they tried to do with the marketing, and I think it is almost marketed more as a thriller than anything. Mm-hmm. There's horror vibes in it, but then there's horror vibes in the film. Um, but I think that they were just trying to not give away some of the big points and spoilers and things in it, which it's I think is difficult to write. But there, there are movies in the past um, uh, where you go in think, expecting a comedy and it's a drama or you go in expecting a drama and it's kind of a comedy drama and, and, and it's, uh, you know, it gives you a bit of tone of whiplash and it's not quite what you're expecting and you get people walking out because they totally haven't understood the, the point of the, the thing. And I think it happens a lot with... 
animation as well, yes. where it almost feels like it's pitched towards kids. Um, and it, it isn't. I think the Wes Anderson animation films are quite good examples of this, where... Absolutely. I think, you know, I think maybe some older kids might enjoy it and things, but let's be honest, let's be frank, they are... Um, designed more for a Wes Anderson audience and that, you know, they're expected to make $50 million and maybe you can just about get away with taking your kids along, but they're not kids' movies. They're not like a Pixar movie where it's, you know, aimed towards realistically in the structure of a, of a you know, a kid's family movie, but, but there's enough there for the adults on the table and they're well-written and they're well-storied, so if you're a film fan, you'll also like them. They are, with the Wes Anderson ones, they are more like an adult movie where there's the occasional slapstick fox falling mm-hmm. over and then that's funny for the kids but it, it kind of is the, the total opposite end of the spectrum and I think because of that they were possibly marketed incorrectly if you slap roll doll flashing in the face of people people think oh that's good to go take the kids to when it's it's not Paddington 2 that's something that also plagues anime quite a lot is a lot of animes are sold as this is a bright colourful kid oh murder 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 lots of murder lots of murder in this film lots of murder but I think that's I think that is a, 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 maybe a, more of a western problem mm-hmm. in that anime is just sold as oh that's the thing that teenagers like and yeah there's a lot more Very complexity than, to it than that but yeah I think you know I think that is a, a, a bigger point and maybe something we will discuss more in the future something that we should come back on yes absolutely Next up, we have another little break for us. So uh, have a listen to this. Hi, I'm Nicholas Cage. And I say you should listen to Double Feature with Callum and Johnny. Woo! Listen to it! Woo! Thank you very much, Nicholas Cage. What a little legend. Again, always great to have this support. And uh, yeah, anyone send us a little message. Uh, always well received. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And the next film we're going to be talking about is our slightly older one. This is a film that came out uh, in 1996. And uh, Johnny, do you want to do the honours on this one? Yeah, let's go for it. So I had not seen it before. Callum had. So uh, this is a big, big fan. A new film to me. So it's called The Frighteners. And it was the last movie that Peter Jackson made before he made Lord of the Rings. Um, And it was the first movie, I think, really, that he'd been given a a fairly reasonable toolbox of finance and, um, uh, you know, and equipment and and stuff to to make something that was, you know, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, 
more Hollywood. Obviously, he, the majority of his films previously had been made in New Zealand, quite low budget, tended to lean towards horror, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, and this is kind of, is, you know, it's still a, it's still a comedy horror movie. It's still kind of a bit fun and a bit surreal in the way that um, Brain Dead was or, or that kind of thing. But actually, he's starting to use CGI. Um, and you can see, he, you know, at this stage, there was bits and pieces of CGI and things. But, you know, for, for I would have thought for a horror movie, it's one of the first ones to have major uses of it. Um, and it was one of the things where he developed Weta, basically. So for those that don't know, Weta is, the, is one of the biggest visual effects studios in the world now. Um, very heavily involved in the Avatar movies, involved, I think, in some of the Marvel movies, some of the Star, I think, worked with Lucasfilms for parts for Star Wars movies and things as well. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, real massive movie studio. And that was something that he really built on or VFX studio. Something, and that was something he really built out initially when making this movie and then you know built on top of it on top of it on top of it on top of it when doing the lord of the rings movies but I, without this movie i doubt he would have got lord of the rings because he was almost looking for use for these computer systems so it's quite interesting from a point of view that it is a comedy horror movie that has a huge amount of um cgi in it which is a strange thing even now i would say you, you might get little bits and pieces to tidy stuff up but i wouldn't say cgi is a massive thing in um in horror movies yeah i would certainly agree with that it, we tend to like our prosthetics and our special effects makeup a lot more than uh the uh cgi so plot wise stars michael j fox and again one of the last major hollywood roles he had before unfortunately becoming quite sick with parkinson's obviously he's just still sharp to this day in things which is always a treat but yeah it was one of the last movies where he had a leading role uh, and he is someone who is able to speak to ghosts and his job if we would call it that is that he basically gets a couple of ghosts he's friends with to go into people's houses haunt them and they pay him to come and exercise the house and that's his you know his uh, how he funds his life uh, shall we say um but obviously, with all these things, there's something nefarious going on in town. And who are you going to call? Michael J. Fox. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, anyway, after my bad ghost was a joke there. Um, he, there is something going on in town and people are having their... or well, they're just dying of heart attacks, but they're not kind of normal heart attacks. The coroner's... At la, you know, at a loss of what's going on, uh, and no one really knows what's happening. But maybe with a little bit of—is it telekinesis? Is that what you call it? Or is that where you levitate things? Uh, yes, that is the levitation. So, what would you call it? Um, telekinetic? Oh, no, I think that's the same thing. Whatever it's called, <laughs> with a little bit of that, with a little bit of gung ho, try hard, spit and Kleenex attitude. Michael J. Fox might be able to solve this mystery. Oh, thank you. That was a, a very good synopsis. Um, and yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm being I'm being kind, <laughs> dear listeners. Uh, but no, it, it it did sum up things well it, in that uh, this is the movie that bridged a lot of gaps for Peter Jackson's career. It was filmed in New Zealand, but it's made with American money. He'd made a whole load of uh, New Zealand B movies. Uh, like uh, Brain Dead, Dead Alive. And then he kind of stumbled on a New Zealand indie film called Heavenly Creatures, which was the 
one of the first films that Melanie Linsky and Kate Winslet starred in. And so that sort of broke out their careers. It broke out his career as a serious filmmaker. And suddenly Hollywood were cashing checks and he wanted to make something that was kind of funny and more in keeping with his B-movies rather than this art house film, Heavenly Creatures, that he'd made. So he made The Frighteners. And it's, so it's the last film he made in... No, it wasn't. He made loads of films in New Zealand after that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, it's made in New Zealand with Hollywood money. It's the first time that would happen. But it has the kind of wit and charm and uh, B-movie sort of uh, scares and fun goings-on of his older uh, Brain Dead and Dead Alive movies. And it is about this guy who can speak to ghosts. There's a darkness in his past as to why he can see ghosts. Uh, many years previously, his wife died in an accident that was many people blame him for. And since that day, he um, can speak to the dead. And now he's seeing this mystery where people are showing up with numbers on their foreheads and they die very soon after. And so it has that sort of wit of a um, an old-fashioned B-movie from the 1980s that uh, Peter Jackson was very involved in. It was quite fun, actually, going back to the CGI things. I think that's one of the most interesting points of this movie. Actually, he used that kind of stuff to do, to, but made it still look the kind of way that he would have done in Brain Dead or he would have done with it in his other movies. So actually, fair play to him in that he was using the technology but not losing his style. He wasn't like someone like Zemeckis, where I felt like all his style went out the window when he got Who, ironically, to is the executive producer on this film. Interesting fact, though, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I think he he lost a lot of his charm when he went digital, and actually, Peter Jackson seemed to you know retain it very well. Obviously, there are some bits. Some of it was a bit rough around the edges. Some bits were actually really impressive. There was there's a lot of stuff in the movie where like people coming out of walls and like bending the walls and things, and I thought that all looked pretty impressive. Um, but some of the other stuff was a bit rough around the edges. Although my understanding is actually that some of the reason for that was that the studio moved the release up three months. Um, and, and knowing what I know about movies and CGI timelines and production lines and things, uh, that must have been <laughs> hugely traumatic for everyone involved, I would have thought. Um, I could imagine if you did that to a Marvel movie that most of the characters would be walking around in green leotards with, like, floating tennis balls going past them. So, you know, it, it, it's, um, it was quite impressive what they managed to do with basically starting a company from scratch, starting a, a you know, if not a technology from scratch, using it in a different way that it probably hadn't been used hugely before. Um, and in what seemed to be quite a tight time scale. And uh, something that I find quite interesting in this film is that it does retain a lot of that B-movie charm, but B-movie on a budget. So a lot of the supporting cast. So you have Michael J. Fox as the lead, and of course that was their attempts to get a, a huge A-lister. Who At the time, 1996, Michael J. Fox was still riding quite high from the Back to the Future movies and several other movies he had done across the 90s. So he was a big movie star. But as the supporting cast, um, and just to kind of go a little bit deeper into kind of who these people are, uh, there's he has these friends who are ghosts and they're the people that he kind of sets on the houses to haunt so that he can then go in and exercise them. The One of the main ones, one of this, a very funny character called The Judge, who's like this old cowboy 
sort of ghost and he's like the old guy he's the the wise old man of the crew of ghosts is played by john astin who was um the ori- original gomez adams in the adams family you have jeffrey combs who shows up about halfway through the movie because after these murders start picking up because of how weird michael j fox's character acts around these events the police bring him in for questioning, believing that he's... And because of the the assumption that he murdered his wife all those years ago, um, they, they bring in this FBI specialist and Jeffrey Combs plays him. And of course, genre fans will know that Jeffrey Combs was in Reanimator and also about 50 million other B-movies. And actually, after the film finished, uh, Johnny said, he's kind of like a B-movie Jim Carrey. Uh, you also have Dee Wallace, who was in Cujo and... Uh, the Howling, who plays, who plays this mad woman who's kept in this house and has some sort of linking to the evil ghost that's murdering all these people. And, you know, she, she's a human, she's not a ghost, but she, she has some... She, uh, she was the beloved of him when she was a teenager and he was an orderly. And this ghost goes in and he starts... Uh, when he's still alive, he goes in and rampages through a hospital, killing 11 people. And now he's back from the dead doing the deed and she is his uh, girlfriend in when he was alive so you got that you got jake Busey playing the evil ghost who is the son of gary Busey, who is uh, everyone knows gary Busey is the kind of weird creepy guy that shows up in and a dozen bees movies and interestingly enough he does look a bit like a tall gary Busey. he's got the the, the same kind of weird foppish hair the and teeth. similar teeth yeah which is interesting because I always I know that Gary Busey you know a lot of his issues and things came from here quite a horrible accident uh, and that's where yeah obviously Gary Busey's got got a bit of reputation <laughs> uh, as being maybe a bit extreme in some regards and I think that a lot of it came from that but actually I always assumed his teeth did but though his, his, his son seemed to have a bit of that seemed to well. retain the teeth thing <laughs> yeah no it, it was it was an incredibly interesting movie it was um, I thought very well acted, very surreal, very strange, very good fun. Bit of a mess at times, which is I think another way that maybe actually it was quite a good choice with Nope. I think yes. some of the the genre tonal stuff maybe didn't line up properly. Was it at first? It was almost like a bit of a weird slapstick comedy where it kind of reminded me of Flubber. You know, in Flubber, how it was again one of those films where they were first using CGI and trying to work out how it worked and how do you interact with it and stuff. The way that some of the ghosts were, you know, his, his friends' ghosts and things worked, and like would get shut in a door or all these things. It made me feel a bit like it was Robin Williams playing opposite them in Flubber and, uh, and um, uh, Michael J. Fox's character was a terrible driver. And to show that, it was like they were just driving around on a, back and forth on a skid pan and doing all these surreal things and had all these very almost um, Terry Gillian-esque fisheye lens shots and things. And it, so it was quite kind of like weird, surreal comedy. And then it kind of kind of got darker and darker as the film went on and a bit you know and it went into effectively as a um a a mass murderer um and and actually the fact that his idols were um famous um uh, were were famous murderers and 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 things and but real life ones and actually that the story and the story of this this person and uh, and this young girl kind of going off together and murdering again was based on a true story one that he was obsessed with and kept talking about and things. So, it, it, yeah, it was 
strangely slightly weird tonally from that point of view and i think that is another way that it kind of marries up quite well with no mm-hmm. very much so and it's interesting how the genre sh- shifts in this film because what i quite like about the frighteners is, is that you're right it does start almost like a complete slapstick comedy with these knockabout ghosts uh, uh having lots of fun which i imagine is what appealed to uh, robert zemeckis um you know he was uh back to the future it's sort of the first act is very much like something that you'd see in the Back to the Future, especially with Michael J. Fox. And apparently he would often flub lines, but whenever he was talking to the judge, he would call him Doc because he was so used to talking to uh, uh, Doc in, um, in uh, Back to the Future films and they had to tell him, no, it's the judge, not the Doc, okay? And it goes that way for about 45 minutes up until the FBI agent, Jeffrey Combs, comes in, who's this weird, surreal character. He's like, he's an FBI agent, but he's, he can't stand being yelled at by women. Uh, he has these tattoos on him because he's the guy that the FBI sends into cults to infiltrate cults. So they, they allow cults to do their kind of sexual deeds on him and torture him and burn things on him and tattoo him. And he comes out and he's just complete, he's a complete nut job. I think I actually said to you afterwards, in a little Back to the Future connection, he reminded me a bit of Jim Carrey in the kind of his face screwing up point of view, but he actually reminded me slightly more of... of Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, exactly. He had the same kind of weird hair and, and kind of vibe as Crispin Glover. And actually, if anyone has seen uh, American Gods, it was very kind of like, felt like it was Chadlin. American Gods, Crispin Glover, which admittedly came 20 years after, so <laughs> if, it, if anything, it would be the way around. But on one hand, the Crispin Glover kind of relationship, but there was also felt like it was a bit of a um, Christopher... Lloyd. Lloyd, yes, Lloyd. That's his name feel about it as well. So, yeah, it did have even like a weird smoking fly, you know, badly driven car and stuff. There was quite a lot of Back to the Future in there. It, had, mm-hmm. it did have that vibe. And maybe it's just because we... Martin McFly's in it for a start and you know about Zemeckis and maybe you're kind of drawing these conclusions together but I can't help not think that there was maybe some little sprinklings of crossover in there somewhere. Oh absolutely I also felt felt there was a lot of uh, Tim Burton in there because it's uh, around the same time 96 would have been during his peak um it had Danny Elfman doing the score, and it's very much it's a spiky, very Danny spiky Danny Elfman score. Do, 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 it's actually one of my favourite things about it, which yes. I can go hot and cold with Danny Elfman. I find him a bit OTT sometimes, but I think it really worked for this because the whole film's a bit OTT. I think for, for the genre, it sort of uh, seemed to appeal. Um, so it has all that sort of, um, you know, uh, hot topic goth sort of thing going on for it. You know, it's yeah, kind of funny, kind of, kind, of, kind of funny, kind of scary. But the interesting thing, I think, is the tonal balance. I know, Johnny, earlier you said that you, you felt that the tonal balance was a little bit off in places. What I quite like about this film is it sort of wrong foots you. And like, I've seen this a lot of times now. And um, just to, be, uh, to add a little uh, something here... It was the director's cut we watched, uh, which is about 14 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. And both were available on the Blu-ray that we had. And it spends the first... Not five minutes, ladies and gentlemen, as Callum originally told me. <laughs> For the first kind of act and a half, it's a knockabout comedy. But it gradually gets darker, which I think is interesting. And by the end, it is a straight up sort of fun, nerve jangling sort of horror film, which has more of the Sam Raimi to it than perhaps uh, perhaps even the earlier Peter Jackson. It, uh, the, it, 
early Peter Jackson is far more gross and pussy, and has uh, kind of boils exploding and, and things oozing. Whereas Watermelon heads exploding. Yes, yeah, a lot of watermelon heads filmed, uh, filled with red paint, where this had that kind of feel of not necessarily Evil Dead, but more things like Drag Me to Hell or some of the slight later um, Sam Raimi where you add a little bit more drama to the horror. It definitely felt quite Drag Me to hell mm-hmm. I think, again, a bit more tonally whiplash than Drag Me to Hell, but um, I think that was one of the films when I said going into it and, and, and before I'd seen it that I, I wondered if it was going to remind me of and I definitely see sprinklings mm-hmm. of that. But by the last act, it just it is kind of the, that last act when... Uh, when they have to bring back the ashes of the killer to uh, consecrate a ground. And uh, that's the kind of um, the, the, the chase, the, the last act thing. And there's a lot of uh, kind of very dark stuff going on. So you even have the act of uh, Michael J. Fox, who dies uh, periodically in the film in order to chase well, this his ghost. character does. His character, yes, yes. Uh, Michael J. Fox is alive and well. And uh, that's brought upon medically because the main girl in the movie, whose character's name is Lucy, and she's played by Trini Alvarado, who, to be honest, I don't recognise from anything else, I must say. Um, And she brings it upon medically because she's a doctor. And, uh, you know, from that point on, and, you know, there's a lot of action there and he kind of comes back alive and then they have to chase this ghost to consecrate a ground. It becomes just a straight-up, horror movie and I sort of appreciated about this film that when it commits to either whether or not it works completely when it commits to comedy it's a comedy when it commits to horror it's a horror and it goes in hard this is where I suppose it's where you draw the line um, because of things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre but in my head I always think it start when they're there's a there's a kind of a chase scene in, in an old abandoned hospital at the end um, and, I, and I kind of felt almost it got into Thriller, but then maybe I'm actually second-guessing what I'm saying now because I'm <laughs> thinking, well, it's not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that finishes with some with Leatherface running around chasing the rounds at an old you know, meatpacking factory or whatever mm-hmm. it was. So, you know, I suppose it, it, it still could be. But, yeah, I, I think it still felt quite... There's still, I feel like you could still see the, the edges of the, you know, where one tone begins and one tone ends. Okay. Um, but maybe less so than, than, than with with um, Nope, which I keep wanting to call Don't, which for... <laughs> I do that all the time. I've tried to yeah. call it Don't a lot. I know, and, and it, I may have even done this podcast and not noticed. And it's because Edgar Wright made a little, like, tr- fake trailer for a British, old British, like, Hammer horror-style movie called Don't that was before the Grindhouse movies that Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino made. Uh, and for some reason, that's in my head, and there's not many films that are just, like, one short wo- word <laughs> long. So Don't and Nope keep getting mixed up in my head, but there we go. <laughs> so on that note, kind of, listeners, I think we're starting to get towards the end of the podcast, but what I would like from you first off, Callum, is I'd like you to rate both movies out of ten. So let's start with don't or nope or whatever it's called <laughs> i think i'd give nope slash don't a seven out of ten and i think it's just those slight rough edges of um not being able to quite concentrate on what genre they were settling on they're just the slight niggles but it's still very impressive and what about frighteners i love the frighteners i've seen this a lot of times it's it's quite an old comfort movie for me so there is some bias in this rating but i'm going to give it an an 8.5 out of 10. We're not allowed 0.5s. Come on. Okay. You can't, if you can't rate it out of 10. Okay, okay. Let's round it up to a 9. 
Okay. Wow. And that is point high five, praise indeed. That's point 0.5 for comfort viewing. Okay. Um, and myself, I think I would probably agree with you on um, on Nope. I would say 7 out of 10. If I was allowed to do point fives, which I'm just not allowing because I feel like if if you can't rate a movie out <laughs> If you of 10, can't do it properly, listeners, don't do it at all. Exactly. Like, you can't have point fives when you've already got a metric of 10 to do. <laughs> and, and I just... In my gut, I probably like it slightly more... Roger than, Ebert is crying after you said that. His grave is crying because he did point fives all the time. Yeah, but he did point fives out of four. <laughs> so that's still only out of eight. See, that's fine. You're allowed to do that. If we were scoring these movies out of five... Who's making up these rules? Me, 100% me. If I, was, if I was doing a movie out of five, I would 100% allow point fives. 3.5 is a you know very reasonable number to make a movie out of. But if you are rating a movie out of 10, that is the maximum amount of like cutting down like otherwise you're going to start being like bloody metacritic or something yeah exactly 9.7 exactly so that's why i'm drawing the line but anyway going back to my my reasoning i i would love to give it an eight but i just think it was just a little bit too rough around the edges for an eight so it's got to be a seven frighteners almost the same in my head like i'd like to give it a 7.5 but under my own i thought we weren't doing point exactly (laughs) under my own rules not allowed and it's not an eight so it's going to be a seven so i'm going to give both movies a seven so um if we were to average those out frighteners is getting an eight and note is getting a seven so listen to both at your peril do you mean watch wow (laughs) Maybe if it's been a long day at work, you need to close your eyes and just listen to them. I do mean watch, absolutely. And on that bombshell, not to sound like Jeremy Clarkson, actually, no, I don't want to do that. Um, so, yeah, maybe listen, watch, however you like to do it, at your peril. But I think on that note, it's time to end the podcast, listeners. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And that sounds like the two Ronnies. Bye! Bye!